When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome into another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Matthew Collar with you along with Judd Zolgad. Judd, hockey is finally back. I am delighted to see that uh, that puck is back, and uh, it was a very nice opening night to see, what, about eight games on? It's always fun. It, that's the one thing, because I know it's the start of a long year, and it can get monotonous and boring at times, but there is something about opening night that's still cool to me. Yeah, I think the beginning of the season is always really fun. A lot of times, too, because teams just aren't ramped up to playing at NHL speed and they're all healthy. So there's yes. a little bit of readjusting to playing actual games and they're all skating at full speed. I remember seeing something a few years ago that right out of the All-Star break that scoring took a jump and that games had more shots on goal and things and then started to slump right back down into that kind of lull as we wait for the playoffs. And it's the mm-hmm. same kind of thing with the beginning of the year where you see some wild games with like the Blackhawks uh, beating Pittsburgh. What was that? 10 to one or something like that. You know, yeah. you, you, you might see some really uh, crazy stuff at the beginning of the year. So it's always my favorite. Hey, uh, Hey, uh, inside hockey, non wild question for you, but, but I heard this debated today after the Blackhawks scored 10 goals. Uh, because the Penguins, if I'm not mistaken, played back-to-back. So they played opening night, and then they came back and played the Blackhawks. They gave up 10 goals. And um, Niemi started, the backup goaltender for the Penguins now, started in goal in game two. And within giving 10 goals up, they lifted him. Now, I heard some people talking about, if that's your backup goaltender now, leave him in, let him absorb all the goals. Because why, why force your top goaltender to come back or to play in a game like that? Do you agree with that? I do think you get to a point, though, where you're disrespecting your goalie by leaving him in. When you get to 6-7, I, I, then people start to think about that Patrick Waugh incident where he came off the ice and said he would never play for Montreal again, and then they traded him, and then he went and, you know. Was... But that was a top goaltender, caller. I'm talking about your backup. If your backup, not, not your top guy. I'm saying if your backup goaltender starts, in fact, this happened with Montreal, I believe, at Columbus last year. Their backup goaltender started the game, gave up 10 goals, and they wouldn't take him out. So I'm not saying you're starter. I'm saying if you put your backup goaltender in, should you allow him to absorb? Because who cares? I mean, if Niemi comes to me and says, I want out, I'm just like, okay, I'll release you. So if it's your backup goaltender, do you allow him to absorb all the goals to preserve your starting goaltender? Yeah, that's a good point that you don't really have to care about Anthony Emmy's feelings at this point when Matthew Murray has two Stanley Cups and he's 23 years old, so you feel pretty good about your starter. But Absolutely. I mean, they 
they they should feel okay as having Niemi because of his history as an average and occasionally above average goalie, occasionally below average goalie, depending on the team quality, I think. Dallas didn't want to play defense for anybody, so his numbers weren't very good. But you have a proven backup goalie. Maybe the fact that he's won a Stanley Cup, you think, okay, if he wants to come out of this game where he's getting smoked, it might depend. You might have to go as a coach and ask that goalie if he's a veteran like that. Uh, do you want to stay in, you know, or can I leave you in here? I really need you. And if the guy says, no, don't leave me in, I need to be taken out, then I guess you follow what he wants to do. It's also so early in the season that, okay, I mean, Matthew Murray shouldn't really be exhausted after playing just one game, right? He can go mm-hmm. back in there. But I understand mm-hmm. your point. You'd rather not take any risk of Murray playing back-to-back and getting behind the eight ball early when you can just leave Niemi in. I, I think it might just have to do with him being a veteran and uh, their coach, Mike Sullivan, not wanting to embarrass him completely. That's the only thing I could think of because it's a compelling case to leave him in. Fair enough. Just a question off of the fact that um, oh, it, it was Al Montoya, I believe, at Columbus last year for mm. Montreal, gave up like 10 goals, and the Canadians said, no, we're not going to lift you. You're going to give up all 10 goals. Yeah, and and that, that is a different situation in part because Carey Price has had some injuries over the years, and if you put Carey Price in when it's 7-1 to one and he gets hurt, you are fired. <laughs> like oh absolutely it, and you should be yep Matthew Murray I mean he was he had that one injury before the playoffs and into the playoffs last year but he's 23 years old so it's like all right kid just get out there you're young and spry and fresh so go ahead um but yeah that's an interesting one it, it doesn't happen that often and that was a unexpected result considering the Penguins coming off their two Stanley Cup finals wins but um well, the, on the episode here, I do want to talk about the Wild. They open their season. What are some of our realistic expectations? And then, Judd, I don't think that we are far enough into the season to alter what we think for the long-term outcome. So I want to get your predictions as well uh, on uh, how this season is going to end up. But let's start with the Wild. Now, last year, I think a lot of things went right for Bruce Boudreau in his first year. A lot of players outperformed expectations, and for the most part, it was a really healthy team. At this moment, it's not the most healthy team. Mikel Granlin's going to miss the game tonight. We're recording this before the matchup with Carolina. And most importantly, Zach Parisi is not back yet, and I think it's unclear what his status is going to be going forward. Yeah, and the Parisi thing to me is a huge concern. It's enormous. I can't state how much I think that this is a big deal because the Wild, very uh, coyly, uh, uh, Collar continues to try to kick the can down the road. At first, well, he's not ready for the preseason, but he'll be, you know, he'll he'll practice, and then he practices a a little bit. He's not going to play in a game in the preseason, but he's going, but he's only going to miss you know, so much time, but he'll be back for the season. And then it's, well, he won't be back for the first two games. And now I saw a report today indicating that he basically won't be back until the home opener against um, Columbus a week from today, as we record this, which I also doubt. Uh, This is a back problem that, and I'm not questioning Parisi for one second. So let's make that very clear. Okay. Because I think it's very important. There are times that guys get hurt and we're and we raise an eyebrow, right? We're like, is he really hurt? Parisi is really hurt. Parisi has a back problem, but it wasn't addressed a couple of years ago after he missed the playoffs with surgery. And there is no way on God's green earth that I think that this is a different problem. To me, this is the same problem. And 
Unfortunately, I think there's a very real chance, unless somebody can definitively tell us that this is absolutely wrong and here's why, that we are looking at a situation where you are going to have to use the long-term IR based on this. It's a back problem. Okay, so let's say Zach Parisi returns in two weeks. Think about his style. And Zach Parisi's not going to deviate from his style, right? He's going to take punishment in front of the net, and he's going to go into the corners. What made him a star is the fact that he is one of the hardest-working stars I have ever seen play. And so what we are down to is if he plays that style, it's going to come back again and again and again. And unless they address it with surgery or unless they address it with a lengthy absence, which I still question, Matthew, I think you're talking about a situation where this very well, unfortunately, could be a lost year for a guy who's in the midst of a uh, 13-year, $98 million contract. Well, I, it's hard for me to say definitively that I think that this year will be entirely lost for Parisi, but I think it's going to be something that we have to continue to hear about, whether it comes back for a month and then has to miss games and then comes back again. And even though Zach Parisi is not the player that he was in New Jersey, or even in 2014-15, I think was the best that Minnesota ever saw from him. He scored 33 goals, and then he added 10 more points in the playoffs in 10 games, and he was just really excellent. And his point totals have been going down since then. But if you mm-hmm. but if you think about a guy that was playing a lot on the third line last year, now just put his contract aside. Don't worry about his contract. 42 points in 69 games for a guy who plays his hardest all the way from start to finish. That's really valuable to your team. I mean, so even just going beyond um, what it might mean for him, for his career, or just this early part of the season, if you don't have him in the lineup as valuable as he was for you last year, I think you're quite a bit worse than you are last year, especially since they sent a lot of points out of here with Jason Pominville and didn't bring a whole lot in. If you notice that Tyler Ennis was starting the year on the fourth line, there's a reason for that because Tyler Ennis is not anywhere close to the same player he was three or four years ago. So your forward group, all of a sudden, if you don't have Parisi and you sent out Pominville, you are a lot in a lot worse shape unless somebody else shows up. Maybe it's Luke Cunin or whoever it might be. Yeah. And, and then makes an immediate impact. I think you're going to need that because even I mean, are you going to rest a lot on Chris Stewart? We talked about him last year and just how flawed of a player helpful at times, but a flawed player he is. So now you're resting on Koivu a lot, uh, Stahl a lot, and these guys are over 30 players that you can never quite be sure what exactly they're going to bring to the table from a year-to-year basis. And even just looking at the history of guys who get into their mid-30s, it's really hard to predict. I think that uh, if they are without Parisi for a long period of time, it really puts Bruce Boudreaux in a tough spot trying to figure out how to mix and match his lines. Well, and that's twofold too, because unless you uh, unless you get get yourself some cap relief, keep in mind this team struggled to, and they did it, but they struggled to retain Daniel Winnick, who is with the team in training camp on a PTO, because they have no cap room. Right. I mean, they, they so it's it's twofold. One, you're going to miss Zach because Zach's good, and if Zach is is healthy, which he's not, he's valuable. But two you can't even begin to replace him or get a semblance of a player because you're up against the cap. 
And that's where the problem comes in with the cap never going up and up year after year after year, which is you couldn't because you can't tell me that this team hasn't been concerned about Zach for about two years. Right. Mm -hmm. So ideally, if you're if you're the wild, you would have been going out and saying, "Okay, we can't sign a player who was potentially as good as Zach was at his height, but we need to sign more players. We need to do this and do that. And you can't. You're stuck. And so you're in this uh, you're in this zone where you're missing Parisi, and that's tough enough. But as you just said, you're trying to replace him now with, you know, innocent players like that who are, are also not that good. And so, yeah, it's just it's a really, really difficult situation to be put into. And at this point in time, there's no way around it. But, yeah, that's why, to me, the potential absence of Parisi becomes such a big deal because you look and you say, okay, is what you're going to have to do with your lines not even an upgrade, but are you treading water? And the, and the answer is you're not. And with Joel Erickson Eck now playing a full-time role, him playing alongside Chris Stewart and Marcus Foligno means that Joel Erickson Eck is going to have to do a lot for them to have success because those are two pretty limited players next to him. If he's got Zach Parisi there with him, how much stronger do you feel like that lineup is? I mean, by by a lot. If you, it's can, not even, it's not close, man. Yeah, I mean, if you can move one of those guys out and have Parisi there, he was playing on both both sides last year, so you can shuffle him wherever you want, left or right. If you have him there, let's say him along with Felino and then Erickson Eck, who I have really high expectations for, a guy that I I think is a nice young two-way player that has some scoring talent, could put up 40 or 50 points this year and be really helpful. If you put him next to a veteran player who's going to score and grind for the puck and, and dominate puck possession at times through stretches, you feel like, wow, we've got three really strong lines. Now you feel like you got two and one good player is kind of where you're at. And then you have one, one and a half fourth lines is kind of where you feel right now, right? Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not I, – I don't want to be doom and gloom with, with this team because, one, they've played – as we tape this, they played one game. And, two, I don't think they're awful. Uh, but but I just can't I, – I don't feel like it's been emphasized enough here locally how big a deal the Parisi thing is. I feel like I feel like we're all sort of taking the wild word for it. Well, they say he'll be back. That doesn't mean a thing. I mean, we've covered teams long enough, Collar, in all sports to know when a team start, when a team starts to, as I said before, kick the can down the road on an injured guy. It means they're buying themselves time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that oh no he really will be back. It means that he might be back. And the other problem is, and this is where I think the real concern is, it's not that I don't think the Wild truly believes Preezy is done for the season right now. I believe they think he'll be back. I think they think what we're thinking, or at least what I'm thinking, which is how long does that last? Because it's a back problem, and this is hockey, and he plays a style of play where any herniated disc back problem is going to be made worse every time he plays and so i just i sort of feel like all the stories and all the things that we've talked about so far have just sort of gone along with how the wild wants us to perceive this which is nothing to see here nothing to see here well the, the reason why they do that is because they're very concerned and they don't want to face the harsh public reality of if this is as bad as i think it might be 
there's a big problem. Well, the back part of it is the one that stands out the most to me. 100%. Just because yeah. when you talk about trying to read the tea leaves and predict where something might go, when you hear back injury, that is not one that generally goes in a good direction. That isn't like tweaking your ankle and then it just has to heal and then you come back and play and you're fine. That's one that can be perpetual. It can keep coming back. It can, mm-hmm. it can keep uh, you out for, for quite a long time and then having to miss time here or there. And then it's good one night. It's not good another night. We, with NBA players, right, are famous for this guy's got a back injury and he's out tonight, but he'll be back tomorrow sort of Mm -hmm. thing. And and I think the same thing goes with older hockey players. And this is not a guy who is just floated around. And I mean, the the thing that I think is the most frustrating about Parisi's back injury is that, you know, it comes about because he plays so freaking hard that he, he doesn't ever go out there and just sort of like glide around and have an easy night that every night it's taking that type of punishment. And I just couldn't have any more respect for a player and the way he plays than the way Zach Parise has over the last decade plus. But here we are. The, he's a product of his own doggedness and the fact that, sure. that, that he's in this position now. So that's really and, unfortunate. And there's no good trade-off here because they, you can't tell him, hey, Zach, go down, you know, come back and tone her down. Right. He won't be any good. Right. Like, you, your two choices here are have him go play his style and risk it and know full well that he's going to last for four or five games and then it's going to be – so painful he can't play again, and or tell him not to play as hard, and and guess what happens then? He's not that good. So there's no there's no good outcome. There's no way to tell him if you back if you no, no pun intended if you back off here, it's going to help you because it won't help him. So I just I'm very curious to see how this lands. But we are talking about a guy who what signed a 13 year contract in 2012, so he's what six years in into it. And at this point, it looks like there's a very good chance that at this that you're going to have to do something to eventually try and get yourself some salary cap help because the answer is you've got to create room. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Collar, you could put him if you do go the LTIR route, you can go above the cap, correct? Yeah, no, that's right. That creates that cap room. In fact, some teams have used it to circumvent the cap going down the stretch in past years. To going into the playoffs, the whoops! This guy's on IR when he had a little. Uh, you and know, the league now vets that way injury. stronger, but but the league now cracks has cracked down. I I know with Hosa's problem with what he got the rash from the equipment. Yeah, the league the league had to the league had to okay that now. But I mean, if Parisi has a a back problem, I don't think there's going to be a big problem with them saying okay, that's fine. If you put him on this list, it makes sense. Right. Uh, th- when it comes to this team just in general, I think it's a common theme, no matter which direction you go, of finding things that really could go wrong. And even if it's not intentional, it's just glaring, right? It's not trying to put down a team that was very good last year in the regular season and probably should have won that first round because Bruce Boudreau got a lot out of that team. It's just that there are some red flags at every spot. So we talk about the forward group. If they don't get Parisi back, I think they're in tough. I mean, because, again, you're relying now on hoping that Matt Cullen can still play at 40 years old and how that's going to look. And you're relying on Chris Stewart, who's a flawed player, to play a lot more minutes than you probably want to play with him, or Tyler Ennis to find his form from five years ago. These are things that are kind of unlikely to happen. 
I feel the same way about the defense group, Judd, that the top four, when it's on point, is really good. I mean, Jared, uh-huh. Jared Spurgeon is one of the most underrated players in the NHL. I'm a huge fan of his game. And he and Ryan Suter fit perfectly together, I think, as a pair. I don't. Did they not play together the other night? Let me check that. Because I Who, think who's they, that? Suter and Spurgeon. And uh, and Spurgeon. I don't yes, they, they did. Yeah, I know. Oh, they no, did. Okay, fact, they did. All right. In fact, Boudreaux's goal going into training camp was Suter and Dumba. My own personal theory, because uh, Boudreaux announced before the year started that it was going to be Spurgeon and Suter again. My own personal theory is that number 20 went to the head coach and said, you might want to do this. I don't want to do this. Give me back Jared. Yeah, I think that Jared Spurgeon and Ryan Suter should play the entire season together. Well, the, the reason I thought that was because I saw a tweet pop up at, toward the end of the preseason that he was going to play with Dumba, and that kind of and that confused me as to whether he was going to play with Spurgeon or not. So, yes, they played together the other night, played well, as they usually do. So the Brodine and Dumba pair, I think, are perfect because you have the extremes. The one guy who's very, very offensive-minded, the other guy who's purely defense. They're both young. They can play a lot of minutes. But after that, Judd, I do not like the look of the the five, six, and seven of this team. I don't know what you have yet in Olofsson, but I know that Kyle Quincy is older than my grandpa. And Mike Riley, I know that he can't play defensively very well. And, you know, this is where losing Marco Scandella is such a big deal for this team that that gave them flexibility. And now I think you get one guy hurt for a period of time and your defense group looks like it's not very good. Okay, let me ask you this. When it comes to Quincy, Quincy so far from what I've seen, seems like he could be and I might be totally wrong. So Quincy seems like he could be somewhat solid because he knows his role and he's not going to get out over his skis. Uh, Olofsson and Riley, I'm with you. And I know Riley's a local kid, and I know he was a very good golden golfer, but here's how he strikes me. He is a great college player, but he strikes me as a potential dime a dozen NHL defenseman, Mm -hmm. which is I was a great college player, and I was great offensively, but I'm really not that big, and I get to this league, and guess what? There's a lot of guys as good or better than me, Um, so – that scares me more. The Quincy, I guess. I guess my thing with Quincy is, I think he'll do his job, and I think if you don't like him, you just can switch him out, probably. Um, but the the whole thing with the young guys and Riley is, I don't see the development there yet, and if I don't see it very soon, I don't know. I don't know how well it's going to work. Oh, I think Mike Riley is what he is. I mean, he's 24 years old, and he right. still is not very good in the defensive end. I, I agree. Quincy is kind of just a guy. I mean, he's the best you could do for $1.2 million, basically. To just, Which is, once again, you have no cap room. That's exactly right. Right. So to just go into free agency and, all right, we've got $1.3 million to spend, so let's give it to Kyle Quincy because he can play in the league and but that's about it though he doesn't bring you anything above a replacement player other than just he kind of knows what he's doing out there but Riley and Olafson, I don't know yet with Olafson. maybe there's some potential there but I know what I have with Mike Riley and that's a very limited player that's a guy who you can't move into a tougher role so if someone gets hurt you basically have to move Kyle Quincy into a tougher role or Olafson. And oh, I, no, I don't no, feel very no, good no. about either one. No, you're right. If somebody gets hurt, you're in trouble. 
Right. No, you're no. If your top, if any of your top four go down, and now you've got to start to promote, you're in trouble. Because I I'm think, with you on that. I think this is an excellent top four. Who can I? I think keep the forward group going, even if Parisi is out, and even if there's any sort of lingering issue, Granlin's going to miss the game against Carolina. If there's any lingering issue there, or if you lose any of the veteran players, the the top Sixers. I think the top four defenders make this team still really competitive on a night-to-night basis. It's just that you don't feel the same way with the same level of security as last year. Like when they lost Brodeen for a period of time, you felt like, okay, well, they're going to be all right because you can always move Scandella up into that spot. And how often do you see teams have their top four defensemen all play the entire season? So... I, I think there's a reason to wonder about that. And the goaltending, I mean, I think as far as at least the regular season goes, Devin Dubnik is fine and has been probably one of the better regular season goalies in the NHL over the last few years. So you feel good about where you stand with goaltending. I mean, you always wonder if a goalie's going to go up and down because it can be somewhat random. Dubnik, Dubnik needs to play less, though. He needs to play less, and what they did to him last March was a crime. Well, and I that, mean, you can't, you can't have that happen again. And I think Boudreaux... I'm going to draw a comparison for you. I think Boudreaux and Zim, while I like Boudreaux more because he's a character than Zimmer, I think they got some similarities. Mm-hmm. And and I think what, one of those is, Darcy Kemper, you suck. You're not playing. Right. It's two, but it's 2017. That's not really an option when you're playing games like they did last March. Like, like that's the old, like what Zim's saying right now about Bradford, pain threshold thing. He might be right. And in 1975, guess what? I start Bradford on Monday night, and if he collapses on the field, I say, get him off the field. <laughs> but this is 2017, um, and, and I think there's some similarities there. And you can't do, no matter what we think of Dubnik, and, and, and I mean, he is a good goaltender who hasn't won a playoff series for you, and I understand that Jake Allen was great last year, so let's not even go down that path. But uh, you can't ask Devin Dubnik to do what you did to him last year which is take an MVP and just say you're playing almost all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. The uh and, and well that's the direction that I was going to go because Alex Stalock what do I have there? Just a guy, right? I mean yep. this is not a reliable backup goaltender that you feel like you can play 30 games and still be competitive in this division. So you feel like Devin Dubnik is going to have to play 60 to 70 games in order to remain competitive. I mean, last year they were in the playoffs pretty soundly, not even officially, but they were ahead enough where you knew they were going to get in and they still kept playing Dubnik. But this year, uh, so we can say, yeah, that was a mistake, but this year they might just have to, because I think that the central division is really tough and the West has gotten better. I mean, even bad teams got a lot better. Um, you know, Arizona is the one that comes to mind right away. Arizona got a lot better uh, over the off season. They got Nicholas Jarmelson. They got Derek Stepan. Like no longer can you just feel like you're going to walk over them. And I, even Vancouver got better. May I quickly applaud the Jets though? Because I would like to thank the Jets personally right now with a pretty good n- nucleus, correct? Do you agree? I know where you're going. I know exactly where you're headed with this. I would like to thank the Winnipeg Jets in the Western Conference for giving Paul Maurice a contract extension. (laughs) Because this buffoon should have been fired during last season. And these, if I'm not mistaken, they extended his contract. And I look at the Winnipeg Jets, and I look at a team, and I say, you know what? Your personnel is really good. 
But you gave him a contract extension. So if I'm the Wild, I send the, J- the Jets a thank you note because I think the Jets went a long way towards eliminating themselves from the playoffs by doing that. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about where we see the Wild fitting in because we spent the first 20 minutes here kind of talking about where this could go wrong and uh, breaking down the strength and weakness of this roster. So now where do they fit relative to the rest of the Western Conference? I'll tell you what I think first, Judd, and then uh, you can go ahead. I I mean, I I think that they are like a third or fourth place team in the Central, which in this division means they're a very good and competitive team and would give them a shot. And after that, I'm not really sure. I think that they can make the playoffs, but it's just, again, hard to see – much more than that. And I feel like we've been saying that so long about the Minnesota wild that as soon as people hear it, they go, yeah, I guess that's true. And it's kind of a conversation killer, but I think that's just the facts, man. I I think that's kind of where this team stands that good enough to give us some fun times, but I'm not sure uh, about anything more than that. And there's also a scenario why I could see them being dead last. I mean, the Dallas stars would have never said last year going into the season. Oh yeah, we'll be right at the bottom, but absolutely. No, you're right. But they were, they were just, just ahead of Colorado and that was it. And if a few things don't go the wild way, then yeah. I mean, there's enough talent here where they could end up at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, I think I, my, my inclination is that this is, is a playoff team and I fully expect them to be. And I guess my question becomes this just because they've made the playoffs now, every year since the Parisi and Suter signings in uh, July 2012. I guess my thing is, show me something. Show me, You know, in fact, I don't even care what you are. I don't care if you finish first, second, or you're a wildcard team. It doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody for the most part, including diehard hockey fans, can sit here and recite standings to me from the season, even last year. So I guess what I want is make the playoffs. I don't care how you do it. I don't care. I don't really care unless you barely make it, which would be a problem. I don't care how you do it. I don't care where you are, but then show me something in April and May and, you know, show me the ability to actually win a round. Show me the ability to win two rounds because the one thing is, you know what, Collar, the twins were a feel good story. It was fantastic. 103 losses to the playoffs. That's great. Good for you. Uh, The wolves have not made the playoffs in 13 years. They seem to have a really good nucleus. And when they make the playoffs that first round, it'll be really cool to be back there and see it again for the first time in that long. But with the Wild, you've made the playoffs now or for, what, five consecutive seasons, and you have, you know, made the second round, and that was cool. And then the expectation was, okay, show us something, and you haven't done it yet. So show me something. And and also, the other thing that I'm big on for this year, um, Charlie Coyle, Mikel Granlund, Nino Niederreiter, Jason Zucker, you're now in your mid-20s. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you all don't pull your weight, you're no longer young. You're no longer cute. There's no longer nothing. No, there's nothing novel about you. You guys and don't give me this. Koi, who's the leader of this team? Or I defer to Zach Parisi or I defer to Ryan Suter. You are now the nucleus, as far as I'm concerned, of this franchise and of this team. And it is now your job not to make the playoffs, but to win playoff games. And if you don't do it, especially after Nino and Granlin got contract ex- extensions, then that's your problem and shame on you. You now are at a point where you have to show us something. And if you don't show us something this year, if whoever runs this team says, we're going to start to blow this thing up with those players being dealt, I don't blame you one bit. I think what this season might require, 
Because I, I agree with everything you said there, though I, where I would go is that core is what it is now at this point, and they're all good. I mean, Coil really is inconsistent more than usual because hockey players are inconsistent. They score in bunches just in general. Guy gets hot, scores five goals, doesn't score for a little while. Unless you're Sidney Crosby, that's how it kind of goes. And then yep. you hope that there's somebody else on your team who gets hot that next week. Um, but... I, I think you have really good players there. I think you do have a really good nucleus. I'm, you know, I like Nina Ryder a lot that he wins a lot of battles and is a great possession player and can score and Granlin. I'm skeptical if he has the same season, but I still think he's a 60 point player. What I mm-hmm. think this team needs in order to be better than just a eh, run of the mill playoff team, they need somebody else to show up a younger player and make a big impact. And that might already be Erickson Eck. We'll see. But if he, if, but if Erickson Eck gives you forty points, well, that's just that's good. But that's just a guy. You might. Need I think you're. One I think you're. Pl- I think the guy you're talking about, and I think, and I think the guy you're talking about probably is more for the playoffs than he will be uh, when when he gets called up. He's in Iowa right now. I think it's Coonan. Yeah. I think he's a guy. He's a guy, and I mean, we can laugh all we want about this word, but we've seen it before. He's the guy that's got those weird intangibles, and he wins everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. And I think he's one of these bleep-kicking guys that doesn't give a damn how old he is or, or that your name is Miko Koibu. And I think, he's, I think he's the exact guy that you're talking about. Yeah, and, it, and if it's in the playoffs, then it's in the playoffs. But I, I think in order to be a real contender, they have to have someone else show up on this roster <clears throat> and just trade. It's not going to happen with a trade it's not because they're just nope. there's so many guys that they can't move already and then other guys that they don't want to move because if somehow at this point you end up trading charlie coyle or mikhail granlin then something went really wrong throughout this season and mm-hmm. you you already moved out one of your top defensemen so you're not gonna trade for somebody at the deadline either because you've got no cap room it's gonna have to be a young player who comes in and whether it's the playoffs midseason, wherever it might be and makes a significant impact in order for you to take that next step, because I don't think you're, you're right there. But um, before we wrap it up, Judd, I would like you to tell me who your top three teams in each conference are for this season. Top three. So the three teams that you would, that you would in each conference that you would put your money on, to right. so go to uh, well, yeah, they, they are your favorites for the Stanley Cup Final. All right, to do the best job possible, I'm going to get out my newspaper right now, oh, young man. What's that? I'm going to put on. I'm going to put on my reading is, glasses. Is that on the internet? I'm going to. I'm going to put on my reading glasses. Reading glasses. You sound old. And uh, well, I'm 47 years old, so I am old. I can't see. I can't see. Let's see. I'm trying to look at the standings right now without my glasses. I can't read them. <laughs> oh, look! My glasses are on, and now I can read them. Amazing. Uh, uh, well, it's interesting. First of all, because uh, to the point you just brought up, we uh, we have Louie on our show on uh, Thursdays, and Nanny actually told us because I asked him who do you expect to fall off the table? Because there's always one or two teams, right? Yep. And, and he said his fall off the table team in the Western Conference is actually the Blackhawks, oh, which I found okay. to be very interesting. Possible. Uh, big Jalmerson fan. He loved. Uh, Me too. He loved, uh, Yep, Jalmerson, and he's gone nowhere. They really to, uh, lack depth. They're really the Coyotes, short on right? depth. Uh, Didn't they trade him to the Coyotes? Uh, yep, they did. Yep. Okay, in the Western Conference, Matthew Collar, my top three teams are. I'm going to go with the predictable, but I just love this kid too much not to. 
the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. I think they were. I think they're going to be fantastic. I mean, he's just he. McDavid brings so much to the table. I'm actually going to go with a very strong rebound year for the Dallas Stars. Okay, all right, I agree with uh, you. Hitchcock's the type of guy that goes back. Or Hitchcock's the type of guy that gets in and has a great first year. And in three years, his players will hate his guts. But I think <laughs> right. I think they're good. And then you know what? I'm going to go with number three on, on my list. It's a little bit difficult because I always like the Ducks because the Ducks are always sneaky. But I'm going to go with the Nashville Predators hmm. based off of what we saw last year. I'm going to go with Nashville as my three team. Well, now, I it, I share. Yes, I'll, I'll give you my West. I share two okay, cool. two of those teams with you. That I have Edmonton also, and the way McDavid debuted was <laughs> a nice, nice little hat trick to start the year. So it wouldn't be surprising if he scores 120 points. They're a stronger team this year than they were last year. They should be the favorites to win the cup in the West because of him. I also mm-hmm. have Dallas, but I have a sneaky one, and I and maybe I'm completely nuts for thinking okay. this. Well, my, you have been before, so go ahead. My sneaky team in the West is Calgary because. They have the best top four other than Nashville, I think, in the NHL. Their goaltending is scary, but they've got young players that they've drafted really high, and Johnny Goudreau is a star, and they've built this forward group of really high-end offensive players. Dougie Hamilton is a star. Mark Giordano is a star. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Trading Dougie Hamilton just is still mind-boggling. Oh, so, don't, don't start with Boston. No, don't, they, don't they trade everyone. So I'm gonna put uh, I'm gonna put Calgary in that list, and that could be super wrong because of goaltending. Because Mike Smith, I don't really trust him, and we'll see. I just think that that team has kind of the look of one of the teams that comes out of nowhere and surprises I like people. It. And so I like I'll, it. I'll, I'll go with that one. Now, how about your? Uh, you want me to give you the East, my East teams? And... Yes, yes. You go first on these. All right, I will give you the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yep. The Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Pittsburgh Penguins. Ooh, I like it. Um, okay, I, I gonna, have the Lightning bouncing back. From okay, last I'm going to go. I I'm going to go Pittsburgh, and I will agree with you. And by the way, I I can't emphasize my love for the Leafs enough. Last Stanley Cup, 1967, they are the Cubs. This is a mirror of what the Cubs did. Down to the fact that Mike Babcock, Joe Madden, not the same guy, but the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, huge Toronto fan. So I'm with you on that. And then just to differ a little bit from you, although I certainly could see Tampa Bay being correct, I am going to go with my my third team is going to be the Capitals again because the Capitals are forever the regular season darlings of this <laughs> I would also like to say that I love Columbus's team, that I'm – extremely high on Columbus's team. They have an incredible couple of defensemen with Wierenski and Seth Jones, and their forward group was stacked up by trading for Panarin. They have tons of skill. I I still think John Tortorella is a good coach, and they have the guy who won the Vesna Trophy last year, so I am high on Columbus. I didn't put them on my list, but they would be my next team, and I'm not quite as high on the Caps because they lost two of their best forwards from last year. And didn't really replace them because they can't because of the salary cap. So do you know? Do you know what I love about Torts? My favorite thing about Torts is because I've seen you know in this league. I mean, my whole life there's always been coaches who come in and get immediate results or a few years of results, mm-hmm. and then eventually the players sour on on them and they get fired. 
Torts has the ability to a- alienate his players by February 1. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to do yeah. that. Yeah. But he has the ability, you know, like Ken, Ken Hitchcock to me, uh, Mike Keenan also. But like Hitchcock now, he's a guy that can bounce around, and eventually people just get tired of him as players do, and then they just sort of stop playing for him and he gets fired. Torts has the ability to be a pariah with his in his own room by February 1. <laughs> Yeah, and even last year where he was supposed to be a newer, softer torts, he still had the team have to get together for a team meeting to tell him to calm down and stop yelling at them so much. So, <laughs> Although nothing will match about the, story, the story I read a couple of year, years ago where Kings players were so mad at Sutter that they locked him out. Oh, they, yes. They put a tr- the, ch- uh, the chair against the door and wouldn't let him into their own locker room after a loss. Man. NHL coaches, nobody gets fired more often anywhere close to NHL coaches. And that's, I mean, the other sports are a meat market, but coaches in the NHL, you get a year and a half and sometimes just a year and you get fired if it doesn't work out. I love this league. It's, it's a mess as always. All right, Dud. Well, thank you for your time. We'll get together and talk hockey again soon. And uh, if you are a Vikings fan and you haven't discovered the Purple Podcast, Judd and I talk exclusively X's and O's Vikings football. Well, not just me. Over there. Not just me. You got Courtney Cronin of ESPN. You got your buddies who come in once in a while. My buddies, yeah. It's a (laughs) wide-ranging podcast. It is. We've made it more dynamic. Yes, it's good. It's good stuff. All right. Thanks, Judd. And thank you all for listening to Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure.